everyone. Welcome to episode number 39 of the Coach's Journey podcast. Robbie here, and my guest in this episode is John Monks. Uh, working online is not the future, it's today. These words from John, um, the co-founder of a facilitation company and consultancy Curve, will, I know, resonate powerfully with many listeners who, like John, have been bringing people together online over the last two years in an era of undoubted change. John, who, along with his uh partner at Curve, Lizzie Shupak, wrote Closer Apart, a, a guide to running online workshops, wants the world to understand the problem-solving power of online facilitation and to believe that anything is possible in that setting. And I think you'll really get that feeling from, you know, if you read Closer Apart, but also from this conversation. John's career, in some ways, has been driven by one question, how do people work together? And that question led to the foundation of Curve and an ambition to work with the most senior people in the largest organizations in the world. And in this conversation, he describes how he and his co-founders achieved that ambition while still showing up as themselves in order to truly connect with the people they encounter in their workshops. And, and that story, told towards the end of the, of the conversation, is, is a really nice one and, and exciting to hear about how they did that. In this episode, we talk about how to read the room when you're working online. We think about the energy journey that workshop participants make and how to manage it how to ensure equal share of voice and uh, unlock successful outcomes in workshops, the power of team coaching to unlock blockages in communication, how leaders can generate the feelings they need in order to lead effectively. Um, we also talk about how to bring unusual ideas into large-scale organizations with confidence and clarity and get into all the different ways in John's um, varied career that he's used and thought about coaching and facilitation. Um, before we get into that, as I trailed in episode 38... 12-Minute Method Book 2, How to Keep Going When You Want to Give Up, is out now. Um, so we'll put a link to it um, wherever you're listening to this uh, this episode, but also you can find it on Amazon. You can find it by my website, robbieswale.com. Um, I'd love it if you'd check it out. Um, it's had me thinking um, over the last few months about the power of persistence, about the tortoise over the hair, and about how important it is in coaching that we stay in the game that we don't quit because it gets hard. And that after seven years, um, you know, actually, just like in the 12-minute method, a an hour or two at a time, um, I've become an experienced coach. And I've done that because I persisted and I didn't give up. Um, so do check out that book. I referenced one of the chapters in it um, in this episode and, the, and there's loads in there that I that I really love. So I hope you'll check that out. And if you haven't read book one, of course, you don't have to read that to read book two. Um, but if you're interested in starting from the start with starting, which is what book one is about, of course, how to start when you're stuck, do check that out. Um, also, just reflecting on this conversation, I just wanted to say at the time we John and I actually when we had this conversation both had covid which is apt because we talk you know in the conversation partly driven by closer apart and wanting to talk about online facilitation um we talk about coronavirus i knew i had covid at the time john knew he was ill but didn't know he had it um i hope that doesn't come across too much but if you sense any difference in my energy in this show uh, or in the croakiness of my voice it could be covid um but uh, yeah, we we had still what I think was a wonderful conversation. There's so much in there to love. I've got to know John as as we'll we'll mention in this episode pretty well over the, working together over the last year uh, in a couple of different ways. And I think one of the things that I love about this conversation is that more even than in in some of the ways that I've worked with him over the last year or so, we get to get a real sense of the depth of experience, 
um, the level of gravitas, the, the the power of the work that John undoubtedly does in in the workshops he's running, you know, for for um, as we get into in the conversation, the kind of more speech marks the public, but also for leadership teams at the highest level. Um, and I, I should also say that everything I say in in the podcast about the book Closer Apart is true. It's a wonderful um, A to Z start to finish guide to workshops. Interesting. Uh, for experienced facilitators, uh, full of information that will be vital for novices and especially useful for people who are, who want to run workshops online or run workshops online more confidently. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with the wonderful John Monks. John Monks, welcome to the Coach's Journey podcast. Hello, Robbie. Really lovely to have you here. Um, regular listeners to the podcast or long-time listeners will know a couple of friends, at least a few friends that we have in common. Yeah. Um, Inga Umblia, who's a colleague of yours, Mike Toller, who, who, uh, Mike and I, and you and your company have worked together and also Joel Monk. Yeah. Um, and when we were first connected on, uh, LinkedIn, I was thinking about this this morning. Um, I looked at you and saw the mutual connections. And I don't think there were many. I think it was probably just Inga and Joel or something like that, maybe a couple of others. And I yeah. did a kind of double take because I was like, oh, maybe they're related. And of course, that doesn't make any sense because you don't have the same name. But it was enough of an, felt like a slightly unlikely connection um, for me to go, what? And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's lovely to have you here on the podcast. I'm looking forward to the conversation we're going to get into. Yeah, yeah, me too. And I think... We will return to uh, the Joel Monk, uh, John Monks, not the same name, not related in any way, but actually an interesting connection in terms of this story of coaching. So I'm, I'm sure we will get there. Yeah. 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 And so maybe maybe let's go there now. Right? Often the way we start, you know, we get into people's stories on this show is to think about when was the first time you came across coaching in the yeah. way that we would think about coaching now yeah I, I think that that moment where I was connected to Joel so, so I'll explain the connection so that you and your listeners uh, understand so in 2015 I attended a creative leadership course so it's a, an executive leadership program they call it now a six-month course uh, with four weeks of taught programming uh, at the Think School of Creative Leadership, which is based in Amsterdam. It's a global program, but it's based in Amsterdam. Uh, And the way that that program works is four modules of taught content and then quite a lot of coaching around the edges. So it was the first time that I had been exposed to coaching as something more than just what one person did with another person normally in support of of work that they're doing. Um, So I had trained as a coach uh, before that point in time, but I hadn't actually practiced any coaching. And this was the first time that I saw coaching kind of deployed at scale. And Joel was one of the faculty coaches at that point. And the funny thing was that even though our names are different, I have an S, he doesn't have an S, and he's Joel and I'm John, they're not the same name people kept mixing us up. It's like, oh, you one of the coaches? I'm not. So it was it was quite a funny thing. And he and I chuckled about it every time we we saw each other at the, you know, in the Think School. So that actually was a really interesting kind of point of connection. And then to meet you and to see that, you know, that being a, a pivotal part of your journey as well, actually really, really interesting. So 
although that was just a accidental kind of almost similar name comedy connection with Joel the, the important thing there was the think program so the think program is absolutely fantastic Re- really was a, a kind of pivotal point in my life kind of professional life but also personal life I would say and it was the place at which two things happened for me one was I saw coaching and I, I saw everything that it could possibly offer and how well, probably not everything it could offer but just like the scale of what it could offer and where I saw facilitation and we'll talk a lot about this I'm sure where I saw facilitation as a as a job so up until that point it was the kind of thing you know I've been running workshops all my professional life as a consultant but it was kind of around the edges of the work in inverted commas and what I saw at Think, which is an entirely facilitated program, everything that they do is uh, delivered in the form of workshops. That was the point at which I looked at what was going on there and thought, ah, this, A, this is a thing and it has great value. And secondly, that's the thing I want to be doing. I want to be doing that and not the other bits of my work. Yeah. So interesting, kind of pivotal moment. And and yeah, for, for listeners who don't know uh, or haven't listened back to that conversation that I had with Joel, my memory is that for, for Joel, Think is a, was a, is a been a big part of his career because it's where he kind of got to coach a lot of people, you know, people, not you, but people like you and learned a lot about the craft there and probably similarly saw the impact of it. And yeah, you, you've pointed to it, the, you know, Joel was my coach and his company has been very fundamental to me, but especially because I've been in this in the last year, since we've known each other, I've been really in the process of publishing the 12 minute method books, you know, which all started in a coaching conversation with John. And when I think about like, how do I know that coaching can make an enormous difference in people's lives while I look at the impact of, I mean, we, I think in the end we did three coaching engagements, Joel and I, where he was my coach and each of them contained um, multitudes of impactful moments. Um, so it's nice to kind of notice that. And, uh, yeah, I guess being two British people, British men with similar names, similar letters in, in the thing, that's quite funny that you, you got confused. It's not just my fault. Um, and, huh. And so it's interesting though. Let's like, I want to come, we'll come back to think and come back to that moment where you saw those two things, but you said that, but to give listeners an idea, what had you been doing before that? What took you to the program? And also you'd done some coach training already. So you weren't new to the idea of coaching in that way. Yeah. So my background in a nutshell is consulting. So I had a you know an interesting start to my professional career, but not not interesting enough <laughs> to tell you about it here. But <laughs> effectively at some point I I fell into almost um consulting around change. So helping organizations to navigate the change. Normally this was change that was being driven by technology. I think that you know has been the case for such a, a lot of time. So I spent a little bit of time at PA consulting, where I learned a lot actually about you know just how organisations navigate large technology change. I met some brilliant people there, and learned kind of how to run consulting engagements. And as a part of that, anybody who's been a consultant or seen consultants at work knows that effectively what what they're doing is having conversations and coaching people more or less formally through through a process so for many of those big firms the process is all wrapped around putting in place some big technology 
So I had done that um, for some time and I had been picking up the skills of coaching, I think, probably just by watching other people and, and not really knowing what they were doing, but seeing how that that person is doing a really brilliant job. I think some of those people actually were coaches, even though I didn't know it, but I would be seeing them in in the in the work of interacting with their clients. So I did that over some time. And then I took uh, an unexpected but brilliant detour into digital marketing, where I set up an internal um, management consulting practice. So it was um, facing towards our clients, helping them to change their businesses to adapt to the great new websites, apps, etc. that the that the digital company was providing for them. So set that up. What was super interesting about that was understanding once I was inside a marketing company, effectively, understanding the power of communication and stories to help people change. So from the consulting side, you're thinking about almost how do you hold people's hands to get them to change. Uh, in advertising and marketing, you're like you're thinking, how do I tell stories that inspire people to change? So both really, really important parts of of how um, of how change happens in the world. So it was a, a great insight. And while I was doing that in in the world of advertising, I felt like I really needed to learn something. So it was that moment in time I was thinking, well, what am I going to do to to build my own knowledge? So interestingly, actually, in in the consulting world. They put a lot of effort into training their people. In the advertising world, very little effort is put into training people. So this was very much my own journey. So it was at that point that I searched out a coach training program and I trained at the AOEC, the Academy of Executive Coaching, which I really, really enjoyed. And I did that around the edges of my job. And what was it specifically that took you to coaching as the way to develop yourself at that point? Do you remember? I think it was... Honestly, I don't really know now. I can't really turn that back. I think it was um, a realization that this was a it was a part of the job. It was what I was doing day to day, and that there was a way to learn it and get better. So I think I probably stumbled across someone or read a book that made me think that, and then it was literally you know I googled for courses, and that was the one that came up. And I think actually at that point in time there was also a kind of government small business grant scheme. Uh, which I was able to um, apply to and, and got some money as well to, to go on the course. Nice. And um, yeah, it's interesting that, you know, these things you just kind of stumble across. And roughly when was the when was the coaching training that you did? 2014. Okay, 2014. And yeah. what do you remember, like, you know, looking back now, because it's, I always think it's interesting to think about the, 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 the training that we did. And I know that you use coaching in lots of different ways now in your work. Yep. What is there that you learned on that program? And I've heard great things about that as well, that that, that program from people who have done it since. Um, what, what do you remember about that program? What are the things that have stayed with you the most? Um, I remember probably was the first training course that I went on that, that didn't have endless slides and have you know, yeah. people just sitting looking at, at PowerPoint and glazing over. Um, so I, you know, think back of all of the schooling and training I had done had always been, you know, somebody at the front of the room explaining something and then you writing notes. And the form of the AOEC course was, you know, a group of people sitting in a circle on chairs, uh, an expert uh, 
explaining things, demonstrating things, getting people to practice things, and then a lot of reflection. It was a very different mode of training, which I hadn't experienced before, and one that for my learning style, I believe actually for the vast majority of people, this is the best way to learn. I think there's a lot of science that they, that shows that people learn best by hearing something, doing it themselves and reflecting on what happened. So this was that in action. Yeah. Yeah. We, we could talk lots more about that, but I completely agree. It feels like everything I, nothing I read says that we should have more lectures, uh, basically. Um, and so then what in the end took you to, did you use the coaching then before think? Cause you talked about think as being pivotal in that. Did, did, did you use it? Uh, I guess you used it when, whenever we do coaching training, people always use it, right? But did you actively use it or was it more a kind of passive became a part of how you were running these consultancy projects? Yeah. So as part of the training, you have to coach and be coached. So of course I, I coached, um, people as a part of the training, I'd never gone into it thinking that I would take on coaching clients, you know, in a, in a formal sense, I thought that what I would do was use it with my consulting clients as a, as a technique effectively. So that's what I did. So it was, that was in 2014. And then in 2015, I, I went to things. So I think probably it sowed the seeds there with the coach training that had me looking around for, for more. Uh, then through another piece of serendipity, think presented itself. And I, I, I went on that course in 2015 and actually was the, that was the, stimulus plus also so many of the ideas that have formed now into what curve my company is and we'll talk about that in a minute so so much of that came together in 2015 so this journey thinking of my coach's journey whatever triggered me to look out for that course in 2014 then led me in one way or another to think in 2015 and then eventually setting up um, the company a few years later yeah, it feels like it. I mean, it feels like change was always part of what you were doing. It feels like then there's this coach training that arrives, you know, you know, a little bit serendipitously or out of curiosity. And then here you are at Think. And I, I love the thing you said earlier about Think, that it showed you what the scale of what coaching could, um, what could happen with coaching scale. What was like, what was that? How did you see that? What, what happened with coaching on Think for you or for the participants? So the way that think works so it is a program where the attendees go on a journey together over these six months where they're together for these four weeks and it is learning delivered in the way that i describe just there so they, they'll introduce concepts there's often a you know an inspirational speaker although they have a a, a very informal way of kind of delivering that content and then the participants will do they will practice what they've heard they'll talk about what they're practicing they might adapt what they're doing and then they reflect so that's all happening so this is the workshop piece and around the edges every participant has a coach so they've been coached all the way through it and they introduce peer coaching which is another brilliant technique that I love so they effectively give some very light coaching skills to all the participants they buddy people up in pairs and so every day, more than once, you're sitting down with your peer buddy coach asking some coaching questions. So you've got, especially in those four in-person weeks, it's super intense because you've got the 
facilitated learning, which is very coachy in nature. You've got peer coaching with your buddies multiple times in the day. And then in the week, you normally would have one or two actual coaching sessions with your coach. So it's really, um, really intense. In fact, apart from sleeping, and even then, I wonder whether the coach's voices might be there <laughs> in the subconscious. But but you've really got an awful lot of um, formal and less formal coaching going on. And what I saw was how that enabled each individual to learn so much more than they would otherwise have learned. The purpose, I think, is, is to learn. Um, and then interestingly, for me, it was to see how all of those different people being coached by different coaches were on one journey together. So one of my huge passions around coaching is team coaching. So what do you do to take a, a team, like a, a whole team, and coach them against a single objective with a pair of coaches, typically is how we do it. So that was something which it kind of triggered that thought of, uh, I can see now how you could take a team of people with a very big and ambitious goal in an organisation that may have the potential for enormous impact in the world and by using this coaching approach you can make that success you, and you could probably make them achieve way more than they even believe they could do right at the start yeah yeah and i'm sure as we as we kind of move in a few minutes into into curve and what's happened there we'll, we'll you know we'll get into how you do that and and the impact it's had and but i love the way you're talking about that the other thing that stood out though when you first mentioned think you know it's one of the two or three things that you said stand out in it looking back is that you kind of saw that being a facilitator could be a job and mm -hmm. I, I love those moments and like lots of us have them you know especially people who do coaching you know i, I i've got a client at the moment and you know she says she just had this thought it's like uh you know like she's not the only one i've heard say it's like oh wait, this is a job, isn't it? Where you just, you just talk, speak to marks, just talk to people, you get to have these amazing conversations. That's it. In a way you saw, it sounds like you had some version of that at Think as well with the, uh, you've been running workshops, you said, for most of your career, but there was something different about what you saw at Think. What was that? It's interesting. You, you asked about the Academy of Executive Coaching, you know, what was different there? And, and I hadn't, prepared this but my immediate thought was literally how were people seated in a room so yeah. they weren't sitting at desks or around a table it was a circle of chairs well and that's not a small thing is it absolutely like, not you know if we talk about workshops later like it's like one of the fundamental decisions is how do people how are people positioned absolutely not uh, yeah no it's 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 a really really big thing so if i if i wind the clock back to my change change world so a career of helping organizations to change probably the most um noteworthy of those big change programs that i was a part of was in new york where there was a program to change the way that the police and fire departments operated it was a it was a program that had been kicked off in the wake of the 9-11 kind of disaster for for those organizations so the 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 impact that that trauma the very real trauma especially think about fire department it lost 300 and something people in an organization of 3000 so like 10 percent of the, the staff yeah and i've got to say that when i went people haven't been when i went to ground zero it was actually when i started reading the first responders names i can feel it a bit now that i got the real emotional reaction 
you know, yeah. that it was like, it's just, you know, just getting that feeling of those people who were in there absolutely at that moment where the second plane comes or the building goes down absolutely and i, I find it you know it's, it's very hard to talk about it without getting it emotional for me because i you know for years worked with those those people who were you know literally traumatized and in grief um and at the at the core of the program were some really uh, important changes to the way those two organizations operated in order that should something similar ever happen again, it, it wouldn't have the, the same impact in terms of numbers of lives lost. So, you know, really important. And that change was very difficult to, um, to, to make for all kinds of reasons, kind of organisations that have got very deep culture uh, where, you know, there's a, a sense of any changes you know, is a bad thing. And, and interestingly enough, you know, both those organizations, police and fire organizations, are, are really there to stop change, <laughs> you know, stop the burning building, stop the, you know, that the, they are organizations whose very nature is to keep things as they are. So in a sense, you're kind of pushing against a whole organizational culture to get change to happen. But the way in which I was facilitating workshops then, and there were a huge number of workshops all thinking about requirements and how change was going to happen and how communications would happen. And you know, think about the physicality of it. We were all sitting around big tables looking at PowerPoint decks with bullet points on them. <laughs> and that, that's still true of most consulting workshops now, I think. So then wind the clock forward to think uh, we arrived in the the building they then were in, which was in the gas works in Amsterdam, really amazing Victorian building, entirely open. So no kind of fixed furniture in there at all. There were kind of colourful cubes that you could sit on and some bean bags and tables that moved around. And and the there was no front of the classroom, if you can imagine that. There was always a facilitator or two running whatever the session was, but they would be constantly moving around. So the, there was a very, um, you could really feel the difference. You felt immediately a part of what was going on. There, was, there wasn't that kind of hierarchy that you often get with the you know, teacher on, on at the front or the lecturer on the podium or even in the consulting sense, you know, the consultant standing at the PowerPoint where everybody else sits down. So a really big shift in just physically how people were arranged. Yeah. And that in a way, so is it like that that showed you a different, like a kind of facilitation that just spoke to you more, that was, that was more you. And, and that was, because I know a bit of the story, right? I know that that, that this thing in some way sparked curve, right? And is that one of the things you saw that it could be, it could be different and a kind of in a way that really excited you? Yeah, absolutely, and and that it was um, way more effective. It was way more, effective, more enjoyable. Right? Yeah, um, and and I suppose there's some part of it which is, you know, the the, the two founders, really brilliant men. Uh, one had had run uh, McKinsey in, I think, the Northern Europe, I forget which bit, but like very, very senior in McKinsey. One had uh, set up and run multiple advertising agencies. So, so two very well respected, very successful business people were showing that business could be done a different way. Yeah. So it was, there was a bit of, okay, this isn't, this is, and I use this word with caution, serious. <laughs> 
because <laughs> I'm not sure that seriousness necessarily is what, what we want. But I guess you you can take this seriously, is my point. Yeah. Yeah. And so then what was the, you sort of think out, it sounds like, because of part of this ongoing curiosity yep. of what was happening and as a learning experience. Yep. What did you hope to get out going into it? And, and what was the immediate impact or what happened next? So similar to the coach training, I went in primarily to learn. Just because learn, learning was important to you again. It's just like, I just need to be learning something. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think I always I always have that, the, the kind of area that I'm interested in learning about is this, how do people work together? How do, how do you and I work inside of our heads on ourselves? And then how does that play out in the rest of the world? And how can that all come together so that everybody's improving, getting better, being as good as they possibly can be? Um, and then together, like as teams or organizations how can they get a picture of what brilliant can be uh, uh, maybe even more than they, they could picture to start with even better and then how do they go about making that happen so for me it was primarily going there to learn I, I suspect that there was a little bit of wanting to meet new people I, I don't think I would have said that at the time in retrospect though that's what seven eight years ago now and I have got some of my very best friends are you know my cohort and we have a there are 30 people in each class and we've got a whatsapp group which you know is still pretty active most weeks uh, and and i'd say probably half of the people who were on on the course are still really really engaged in that so it's created a very strong community i don't think that's what i went there for but it is what i got <laughs> and then i the result of it was coming up with an idea for for a business for me uh, and I think I knew that I was ready for a change I think that was part of in particular why I did think at that moment in time I don't think I knew what that would become so part of the way that think works is it asks or it used to I believe it may have changed now but it asks each participant to bring in a concept that they want to work on so a business idea a startup idea that they're really um supportive of kind of social impact uh, work so quite often people would come in with a you know brilliant idea to make the world better and I came into it without really knowing what my thing was and I think the reason for that in retrospect now is because my thing is enabling other people to do great things so so that's my thing so I went into think not really having a sense of what I wanted to build in it. But when I came out, I'd seen I'd seen demonstrated through the programme the kind of work that I want to do. Yeah. And then the business started? Like how how soon after that did did you start to make that make that change, make that happen? Yeah, not not immediately. So um I was still working at the advertising digital marketing agency when I was on Think, probably about a year later I I left that agency. Um, at that point, I started actually doing a little bit of one-to-one um, -one coaching, just because it was a you know a way to keep my skills in, earn some money. <laughs> yeah, do you remember? Do you remember like what kinds of people you were working with at that point, and 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 that kind of thing? Yeah, so I think it was friends of friends, basically. Yeah. You know, I think I coached a neighbour. I coached you know some some other people that were just introduced to me. I didn't go out to find people; they found me. So that was what I was doing at that point. And then I 
Um, I started a, a business called Dotworks with another thinker, actually, um, Peter Mandano, absolutely brilliant man, um, who he and I had this idea for an organisation that would help people to connect, uh, you know, really help people to connect. Really, really great idea. And as it turns out, Peter has taken that idea and is uh, writing it up into a PhD uh, thesis right now. So there's some really interesting thinking in there. It didn't land at that moment in time in a kind of saleable business concept. So we, we got a lot of people who are like, that is fascinating, really, really interesting, but not how do I get it? <laughs> so we had a we had a, a super interesting journey. As it turns out, he is the husband of my now business partner, uh, Lizzie. <laughs> so it turns out that we were, you know, I had the right family, but, but the wrong person. <laughs> uh, but it was really, really interesting journey. And we made some fascinating discoveries and we met some really interesting people. So that did that for a year. At that point in time, Lizzie and I had been talking quite a lot about um, what we might do together. And I had been talking about think peter mandano had also been on the think program so you know there's a there's a think thread there as well in fact he's the one who introduced me to them um and lizzie and i were talking about facilitation effectively like how she was the um head of innovation uh for the for the agency and through that work she and i were putting together some really amazing workshops at kinds of things that, that weren't being done anywhere else, I think, in the industry at that time. So we wanted to get to a point where we could distill what we were doing. People were saying, oh, that's brilliant. You know, Lizzie, John, what you're doing, that's absolutely brilliant. But it always took us to do it. So what, what she and I wanted to do was to find a way to train other people to do what we do so but that's where curve started effectively that the nub of it is uh brilliantly facilitated workshops are a great way to have new ideas and to help people to change uh, and the best way for that to scale is for more people to know how to do it so lizzie and i created what uh, has become basically the foundation of curve which was the workshop workshop how to design and run a great workshop and uh, probably a, a year after that, so we're almost five years old today, I think, Curve, um, we set up Curve with the single product, how to deliver workshops. Mm. Yeah, and I, I know that some of that, you know, th th that foundation in some way leads to the book later on and that kind of thing when, when, when other things in the world, uh, you know, happen and have an influence. But how then did the business build? Because I know that that's not the only thing you do now. And what happened as that as that developed? And well, and I guess you know the other question that's of course fine is, is like, what were you and Lizzie doing, and how did you start to translate that? So, at the heart, as I say, was this the workshop? Workshop. I mean, we we had found a way that we could, in the form of a workshop, teach people how to workshop. So, yeah, quite meta, really, this, this workshop on workshopping. And we built it into a form that was kind of repeatable. And were you running it for the public or were you running it in companies? Like, what? where did it... Because I imagine this became a saleable business idea, not just a thing that people said, this is so great, like, yeah. like the other project, but actually one that people were buying. So was it for kind of... 
Yeah, was it B two C or B two B or both? It was it was both. So we put it up on Eventbrite, and um, and you know, occasionally we still do that now. So just to get people to come along and experience it. So we do have open versions, but the but the largest number were being run inside of organizations. So typically, the kinds of organizations that want this are service businesses. They're the kinds of businesses that put their people in front of their clients, and this is a really important skill: is that they can show up really well and they can get the results so uh lots of consultancies lots of agencies those are the, the you know the, the kinds of organizations some brand organizations as well but but less so so we we started doing that and we would it's a it's a half day format at that point in time it was all in person so we were doing half day workshops um and we were doing them sometimes with kind of open enrollment could be anybody coming along but more often it was teams of people or people from the same organization and while we were doing that we were also taking on kind of specific design and run me a workshop to achieve insert what needed to be achieved so we need a new strategy we want to come up with a new vision we want to understand our roadmap these were the kinds of briefs that lizzie and i would get to actually come in and facilitate and now this is this is curve if you wind on to today we're still in the same place we enable people to do things for themselves and then we come in and do it with them yeah in a way it's like the you know these it, it's a more complex and more fleshed out version of a business model that a lot of people see right it, you know by by being the workshop workshop people yep. there will be some people who come to that workshop who think actually we've got a really serious thing here that i want more help with and the people i'll think of of course is is John and Lizzie, yeah. um, and and did it hmm. at that time, um, or maybe now? You know, if you think about those, there's those two things: you enabling people to run really great workshops, and then these, and then actually running these workshops that are, in a way, more like we want to achieve this, and we want the expertise of John or of Curve to do that. Does one of those kind of uh, excite you or get you in that that place of uh, yeah, that place of excitement or or energy that more than the other. Yeah. So the essence of Curve. So when when Lizzie and I created Curve, we have this one phrase. I mean, it's not our slogan or strapline, but it. But we call it our essence. It really is the foundation of everything we do. And the phrase is, "We are enough." And what we mean by that is that we we you and me as individuals and everybody listening like we're, we're enough in ourselves to do whatever we need to do that we as teams of people we're enough as organizations as society like we are enough we have what we need so it's very much a kind of coaching idea in there and that all that's required is kind of joining the dots or closing the circle in a gestalt sense that to enable people to achieve what they're capable of so i the reason I say that is because for me, the really exciting thing is everybody is enough. So for me, it's the enabling other people. So I love to go in. I love doing great workshops with people. I've just come away from doing a, a two-day retreat for a leadership team of a huge organization. That's absolutely brilliant. And I loved it. And more exciting to me is enabling millions of people to do that for themselves. That, for me, that's the exciting bit. If I could, if I could train everybody in the world to run workshops, I would, because I think it's just a, an absolutely fundamental skill 
that everybody could benefit from. Yeah, and um, in a minute, I want to ask ask you about that. You know, because we've got some people listening, and we can kind of help them probably in this moment, right, yeah. to, with their next workshops. But um, a couple of times you've talked about what matters to you. So the cat being the enabler, um, that kind of learning that yeah. you saw at Think and, and, and AOEC and, and that Kip took place in the workshops. And now this thing, you know, what a, you know, it's, it's quite powerful when you say that and you say, if I could enable everyone, millions of people to do this, I, I absolutely would. And you can feel the energy of that. But why is that so important to you? That's a super question. I think it is. It's so important because people get stuck you know, to, right in your territory now here. Like people get stuck. Teams of people get stuck. And when they're stuck, they aren't as happy. Um, they don't achieve what they want to. Um, you know, I genuinely see people who who waste weeks, months, years of their lives. So I think it's... It's the ability to solve problems um, and to come up with ideas. If you think about, you know, the state of the world right now, like what do we need? We need people who can solve problems and come up with new ideas. Like this is the response to all of these huge challenges that we that we face. We need to solve problems and we need to have great ideas. And, and I know that through this, through the facilitation, the ability to bring people together to do that as a group, and um, that's. A super skill that um, the more people that have it, the better. Yeah, yeah. And there's a really, you know, that reminds me. I, I was really nice phrase on the, I think on the Curve website that the biggest barrier to success is often not resources, right? It's the people for an organization, you know. But but I think what you're saying is for the world, right? It's that yeah. like, and I, and I really believe this. Like you're pointing to the to the book. The reason those books have made it up my priority list like the reason they matter to me is exactly the same thing. It's like, there's, there's all this, there's these people who are, who are stuck in all kinds of ways and that can feel like hell. That's, you know, to change that is a, is a, is an amazing thing to do. And like one of the things that I am most confident will, like, I, I don't know how to solve any of the big problems in the world. I have no idea. And, that, and what I feel like I've seen as I've looked at that and tried to learn about it is that a lot of the things we try and do sometimes make things worse. So it's really hard to know what, to do facing problems in the world mm. but right like if you can facilitate connection between different people to creatively solve problems or if you can get people out of the creative hell so that they're finally doing that thing that they really care about like yeah. those feel like undeniably good and likely to create good things and the thing on the website says yeah the the the, the biggest barrier to success is people it's their anxieties and you know the relationships and the things that hold them back and, and stop them yeah, yeah I, absolutely. I, get, I get that. Yeah. And so, you know, to just thinking about the, the workshops, you know, one of the beautiful things about workshops is how people feel. So typically people come out of it feeling a, a way that they don't generally at work. So that's that's one good thing. The the other thing which I think people they can't quite um imagine it until they see it happen is that there is, you break this relationship between input, time, effort, and output or outcome. So 
in in the business as usual, people will like work harder, work longer, you know, grind through for hours and days and weeks and years. And the solution may happen in literally minutes in a workshop setting. So you've you've got this ability to break free from this kind of input-driven world, which people find counterintuitive. They often can't imagine it till it happens. But then when it does happen, it's like, wow, why did we not do that? Yeah. <laughs> Years ago. Yeah, you're so right. There's this, I, I'm not sure if we've ever talked about it before or if I've talked about it on the podcast, actually, but I, I wrote an article about it a couple of years ago. I heard a kind of, I guess he's a kind of, I don't know what he'd call himself, a culture hacker or philosopher or something, a guy called Jordan Hall. And I heard him talking at the start of COVID mm-hmm. about, uh, I think the group the two Greek words for time or two Greek words to do with time, chronos and kairos. Mm-hmm. And chronos is essentially business as usual. Yeah. You know, and certain things can happen in business as usual. Like you can like, yeah, like you can fine tune things. Yeah. And then you get times of kairos, which is where exactly what you're describing, where actually an enormous amount of change can happen in a short way yeah. and, and a short space of time. And, you know, he was talking about that, the pandemic being that, because, yeah. you know, I don't think there's any denying that an enormous amount of change has happened in the last two years or so. Um, and I'm sure we're going to, yeah, we're going to talk a bit more about that, but yeah, it is that it's a, it's such a great point. And I think the same is true in, of coaching. I think that's where those two things, you know, that's, that's why the, the, the fact that you work in coaching and w- the workshops it's why it makes total sense because really it's about creating in some ways those really amazing changes in yeah. much less time than people would expect them to be able to be made and and like you say with a really different feeling to them as well i think that's kind of a, an often underrated yeah. thing of, of, and in workshops a feeling of i imagine connection but also possibility and progress and all those kinds of things yeah yeah no absolutely and 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 uh you, you're right to point to that connection between the coaching facilitation but for me they're they're the same in many ways it's the same approaches applied to a different form it's one of the reasons why i I imagine lots of your listeners will be coaches and and also facilitators and for any of them that are coaches and not yet facilitators i would say look into it because i think the skill set you have as a coach puts you in a brilliant position to be able to facilitate and i think for some people they see some kind of barrier or maybe they feel feel like they they can't do it i believe that's just a feeling i really think that um the the power that coaches have to be able to take groups of people on a journey in the same way that they would take a, an individual on a journey through their coaching program is huge really huge and and i think it's uh it's it's something that that often coaches i speak to really love the facilitation moments because one of the aspects of coaching of course is one-to-one <laughs> and so sometimes you know that can be a lonely that can be a lonely place to be and of course in a workshop you've got more people you've got more energy so I think it's a really great string to a coach's bow if that's the right metaphor um to be able to to facilitate as well yeah and it kind of happens that often coaches you know if you're a coach you end up getting asked to do that even if you've never told anyone that you do it um and i think probably one of the feelings the reasons that feeling comes up this is probably true for has been true for me is the feeling that um and i think you know like let's not say there are there are definitely things to learn about facilitation that are different 
And I think it's a bit like this thing that we've been talking about in different ways in this whole conversation, which is there's this kind of impression that running a workshop or facilitating is essentially a lecturing job or a teaching job or a PowerPoint at the front of the room or around a big uh, boardroom table job. But actually, you know, I think think that the way we're talking about it, you're talking about it, when it's done brilliantly, it's essentially, you're right, it's like a coaching job. And there are some extra things to think about and some more difficult things to manage and some different energy things. That's certainly what I find. But yeah, it's like every time, certainly when I'm doing facilitation, every time I wonder what I should be doing, I basically have to remind myself, the answer is almost always come back to coaching, yeah. right? It's like every time there's a different, difficult person or a difficult moment, more than a difficult, that's a nice distinction you're making in closer apart. It's not necessarily a difficult person, but like when there's a difficult moment, um, you know, it's usually go back to coaching, go back yeah. to listening, go back to asking questions, right? Yeah. And, and, and I think that, that's it. There's like a, there's a foundational skill there that coaches often they've got some kind of innate capacity or something that they've, you know, built up over their lives. They've got training that gives them some great skills in in terms of like helping people to kind of navigate their own thoughts and uh, build their own confidence. And then the things that take that, the things that take the the skill of a coach into the ability to design and run a great workshop, that's all teachable. So that's why, why I was so excited with the workshop workshop at the start. And then with the journey to writing Closer Apart, so which is about designing and running workshops online, the the pieces that allow a great coach to become a great facilitator they're known things and they can easily be learnt and easily be taught so it was a you know what what would you do to help you <laughs> and anybody else listening to be able to um design an experience so we, we we see workshops as experiences so like how do you how do you shape that journey from the point at which somebody arrives to the point at which they leave and how do you design exercises that mean that they produce what they need to produce because that that i guess is is one thing that differentiates a workshop from a coaching journey is typically there are required outputs you're having to create something together so for somebody reading the book and we can talk a lot more about the book no doubt we want to give people the tools that they can use to effectively put together that put together that experience yeah, and maybe uh, maybe you've just said this, but that was one of the questions I was thinking earlier on. So when you came to put together that workshop workshop initially, and maybe what it evolved into, and come, comes the pandemic and closer apart in a, in a bit, um, what what were the fundamental things? And if someone's listening, you know, give you know, give as much or as little as you want. But like, if someone's listening, uh, you may have just you've said some of them. I think we've pointed at lots of them. But maybe could you boil it down? Like, what are the things that people should most be thinking about or thinking about learning about if they want to create great experiences. And they've, if and let's let's imagine that the, most of the listenership has all that grounding that you've already talked about. They have whatever brought them to coaching, which will probably also prepare them well for running a good workshop and facilitation. Um, yeah. And they've got the coaching training and they've got the practice there. They, they know people. Yeah. What are those, what are those next building blocks that are most yeah. important for people to think about? Absolutely. Well, one of the really important ones is energy. And with that thought in mind, um, I'm going to sit, well, I'm going to stand up because I'm seated right now. Um, standing will shift my energy. So just give me one moment and I'll move nice slightly around my room. So what we do in the workshop workshop, in remote workshop workshop, which is the 
sister product that trains people to design and build really great online workshops. And then all of that is wrapped up into Closer Apart, which is the book about how to design and run brilliant workshops online. So we, at the heart of it, we've got a workshop planning canvas. So we've created something that enables you to, on one page, encapsulate everything about the workshop. So who's coming? What are they thinking? How are they feeling? How are they behaving? Where do you want to get them to? Like, what's your vision at the end of this? And and what are the outputs or outcomes that you want to to create? And then it guides the um, it guides you through a process of breaking that down into a certain number of kind of steps or activities. So we've got a, a foundational tool which enables people to kind of really think into. What, what's this workshop for and how will we know that it's going to be a success? Very, very often, I think people, when they're planning workshops, literally start with, you know, time, it starts, time, it ends, and then agenda, like, you know, just putting some things in an order. And that's, you know, that's a great place to start. And you can do so much more if you really get into that thinking. So giving people a tool is really, really helpful. And then in... <clears throat> In the training and in the book, we help people to understand what that um, experience design looks like. So thinking about that journey, even from before the workshop, because there's normally a few touch points before people arrive. So how do you communicate with people? Then how do you shape the energy? We've got a number of different tools that you can think about in terms of how you keep an energy journey going well. So we talk about the natural energy curve that we have going through the day. And for a workshop, you want to keep that pretty, you know, you want to keep it fairly smooth. So you don't want any peaks, great big peaks of excitement, but you also don't want massive troughs. So um, as facilitator, you know, you can inject energizers, you can literally change the way that you speak. So you can slow things down as I'm doing now. So we give tools that help people to, uh, manage the energy of their participants. And then we introduce a number of specific kind of workshop activities. So there's, you know, what could you do for this? What could you do for that? Just, you know, cut and paste activities in there. Um, and then and then we think about what happens afterwards. So for us and for everybody, uh, I think you want to make sure that when the workshop is over, it affects what happens in the real world in inverted commas. So this idea that, you know, your workshop is a moment that's different. You know, you it feels different. You work differently. You connect differently. As a result of all of that, you get that Kairos moment, you know, this, you know, all of a sudden the magic happens and it then needs to change something outside of the workshop. So this is where for, for us, then connecting it back into coaching is so important so in curve what we very often will do is we'll run a workshop comes up with something and then we'll coach the team to deliver on that yeah let's let's come back to that i definitely want to talk about that a little more um in a minute i want to come to um come to a closer apart let's just get into it because it feels like we're talking around up here and i've got lots of things i want some things i want to say and things i want to ask but um before we do that i wonder like um talks about changing the energy and you just did a beautiful one right you're really looking after your energy you noticed it you just moved around your room stood up um, and, and there, there we go and you talked about energizers but you know 
with all your experience of running workshops and and one-to-one coaching because i think it's a you know managing the energy of, of of the coach of the clients in a in a coaching session is really important too what are your favorite tools for uh managing managing energy for maybe for yourself for clients but particularly in in a group situation so my personal favorite is walking <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and you know this very well because, you know, I bring it up so very often. And I think it's, I, I love it because it has such an immediate impact. And also for me and, and for, for many, many people, that walking can also be outside and it can be in nature. So you're getting multiple things going on at the same time. You have fresh air, you've got the stimulation of the natural world, you've got daylight so you know that the the physical impact of having daylight even on a cloudy day is quite is quite noticeable so for me that's a that's a huge benefit so as as an aside by the way i i just remembered that a woman called eve pool once told me that actually the research is that we learn better when we're in motion yeah and i feel that feels true to me you know so if we're walking we actually like we're more likely to retain the the things that we've learned the absolutely about. absolutely there's there's a, a lot of research on that the, the bit that i think is most fascinating because it's not just learning it's also solving problems huh. and these two things are related an explanation which i think is is fascinating is that because the physical action of walking necessarily uses both parts of your both halves of your body so because of that your brain is having to make cross connections between the left and the right hemisphere just simply to move (laughs) you don't have to think about that that's happening in your subconscious but what it's doing is creating kind of active pathways between your your left and right brain and as a result you're more likely to come up with those those ideas which is why so many people were like yeah i had this problem i've been working on it for a long time but i took the dog for a walk and all of a sudden Ta-da. Yeah. So we we um, we introduce walking a lot into our workshops, partly for the energy, but also partly because it's a great way to come up with ideas and solve problems. And because our focus is, is really on helping people to run these great workshops remotely, because, uh, you know, there are so many benefits to doing workshops online. Some of the things that people forget that they can do is go for a walk like it's absolutely possible and and for many people who are who are working at home away from the office that's easier than if they were in the office yeah yeah so yeah walking and 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 in a workshop do you you know if you say it's an in-person workshop is it is it that you send people off in pairs or groups to walk or how how do you use walking in in that kind of situation yep yeah it's off it's often in pairs and and it's exactly the same online so we we would do it if if we were in person but but often for remote workshops what we'd be doing is we will get to an exercise we will pair people up they will call each other and they will go for a walk together and we we tend to give structure to everything we do so typically it's not just go for a walk and have a chat it will be you know walk for this number of minutes answering this question then you know pause do the next thing so we we know that a little bit of structure really helps people to think um so we try and keep it light and fun of course (laughs) but we also try and make sure that we don't have that you know, not quite sure what I'm doing, not quite sure how much time I've got. So bringing it back to energy, though, before I go too far down that 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 walking route, walking is one of my favourites, literally moving. So as I've just done, just, you know, now let's stand up. Uh, we've got a whole um, 
array of energizers you know that involve you know from meditation uh, which i i love as a way to create calm focused energy and kind of smooth out any you know jagged energy that you might feel in a workshop so that at one end of the spectrum we've got kind of mindfulness and breathing exercises to um one of our absolute favorites is called crazy eights and it's literally everyone is jumping up and down throwing their arms and, and legs in the air i think you've i think you've experienced this so really high energy very quite hilarious activity that has people kind of you know slightly out of breath and and you know in fits of laughter so i i, I think there's an unlimited number of ways you can shape energy and we like to kind of think about where's the level of energy right now so what's the current level of energy and where do we want it to be and then you think okay well what's the activity that's gonna move us from a to b yeah and like you said i really like there's a few things that 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 you just said that have reminded me of of closer apart you know i really like in there that that energy curve that you mentioned already you know because you'll want different different times of the day you'll want different kinds of different kinds of energy and um and actually one of the things you said about sending people away walking i I really like this in closer apart just the reminder to be online even more specific with the instructions making them as clear and easy to understand as possible just because it feels true like it's just a little bit somehow a little bit harder to ask or, or or get that communication um across let's let's talk about about the book a little bit um at least a little bit we'll see how we go on um I really enjoyed reading it. There were a few things about it that really stood out. One is, I think, from the very start, and in a minute I want to hear about like where the book came from, I guess, because that's a bit of the story that we haven't quite tied up. Mm-hmm. Like probably, probably the gap in the in the story, in your story. One of the things that really stands out for me about the book is the sense of possibility in it. Um, and I think uh, I was remembering, what I was thinking about this morning is uh, I did a... Um, we had our baby during COVID. And so we, we did some antenatal classes um, online on Zoom. It was in yeah. 2020. So it was like yeah. the, the antenatal people weren't really ready for that. Yeah. And they weren't online facilitators and they hadn't read Closer Apart. Um, yeah. And so one of the things that I just really remember was her basically continuously um, bemoaning the fact that we were online and how it was basically worse yeah. than, um, than, than if we'd been in person. And of course, we didn't know the difference. And it wasn't, like it wasn't obvious. Like it, what I love about Closer Apart is you seem to really take the view that it can be even better online. Yeah. And, and yeah. seeing that experience with NCT made me really feel that. It's like, it's really important that we don't have the attitude that the poor floundering, you know, because she was thrown into it like everybody else in, in 2020. But, you know, if you change that sense of perspective and, and you think, well, actually, where and how can this online experience or this hybrid experience be even better than an in-person experience. And it feels to me like one of the things I really liked about the book was that you, you and Lizzie took that, um, took that attitude and, and that makes it uh, really land. And, and the other things, the other couple of kind of high level things I want to say about the book for people who are listening is for me, it felt like uh, you tried to do something quite ambitious and you did it, which is that you tried to make a book. This is what it felt like that would work for a novice and would work for somebody who has a lot of facilitation experience and even would work for people who have some, at least some online facilitation workshop experience. And that means that it has, I imagine it would have different effects for different people, but you know, it really does, like you said about the workshop workshop guide people through the whole process. Um, And a great way to read the book is if you've got a workshop 
coming up. I think you say that in, in the book, but it is, it, it's really true. You know, it would really, I mean, it's almost always true about learning, isn't it? That the best time to kind of is to apply it as soon as you possibly can. Um, and, and I, as someone who'd run, you know, quite a lot of workshops by then and some online, it had a really nice, two really nice effects. It had an effect of like, few. I'm getting this mostly right. Like uh, most of this stuff that John and Lizzie are talking about, I am already doing in some way. And it had a lot of fine tune. The second piece would be the fine tuning, extra details, little uh, different little things that can take things to a, a new level. And I can talk about what some of some of those are, um, or we can get into more of them. But yeah, there's for people who are listening, there's my reflection on on the book and and what it was like to read it for me. Um, yeah, just feel. I mean, feel free to just respond to any of that. I guess for, that's just like a mini monologue, John. So you can mm. also ignore it. But but uh, and th- and then I'm interested in yeah, where did the book come from? How did it come about? Yeah, well, it's brilliant. It's, it's lovely to to hear you say that. I mean, I I, I really love for me uh, hearing people find the book useful and telling me how they've used it is just exactly what I want to hear. That's, that's... Yeah. And, and I actually didn't do anything I said, but I was, I meant to say, because I think we saw each other not long afterwards, but I did have a workshop that I was running a couple of weeks ago um, for a team. And I went back to it, um, yeah. not for the whole process in this time, but because I was like, ah, there's a, th- I know there's a thing about this in the book. And, and and so I am sure that there are people like me who have read it, who will continue to reference it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and that's what we want. We, we want it to be a book that sits on people's shelves that, you know, you, you, you pick up and you use again and again and again. Um, it, oh, look at that. Yeah, I'm just showing there. for people who haven't got video, I'm showing John his book, which does normally <laughs> sit on these shelves behind me um, at the moment is out in case I want to grab it and ask you questions about it. Lovely. So, and, and, and interesting what you say there about the, you know, great for novices, great for people who know what they're saying. One of the things that we loved about uh, Workshop Shop Workshop when we created it for the first time was it could have junior people who'd never run a workshop before come along and learn absolutely loads. And then repeatedly, we would get people who were you know, head of strategy and agencies who'd run thousands of workshops who would come along and go, I really didn't believe that there was more I could learn about workshops. So we, we want to create something which which has, it's got potential for everybody. And, and, and the workshop workshop evolved uh, uh, into the remote workshop workshop so we created this this product was that when covid happened or was that already happening before that interestingly enough we had created that for uh, an environmental consultancy who wanted to as part of their you know sustainability measures they wanted to be moving more things online uh, ironically they, they never actually bought they never bought it so they asked us to create it they never bought it it was really good for us because what what it did was it meant that we had a, a product little did we know how uh, popular that product was going to become in march of 2020 so we had it up we had it ready to go um from march of 2020 through to the summer we were absolutely non-stop training people to facilitate workshops online because all of a sudden the whole world <laughs> needed to work out how to do that so we we were flat out doing that and at the same time i had had this idea of of writing a book about how to facilitate for a long time and it had been bubbling around but never quite got off the ground but there was something about the urgency at that point in time of like this is something that everybody needs to know 
as soon as possible. So we went down a, a twin track path of creating um, the book. So what became Closer Apart? How do we take all of this knowledge, which is exists in our training courses, and put it into a book that people can learn you know, in their own time at a much lower price point? So it, we went off down that route. And at the same time, we created it into an online course called Facilitating Workshops Online. So that same idea, the ideas that are at the heart of um, Closer Apart facilitating workshops online and the remote workshop workshop, they all cover the same ground. They all give people in different um, forms the way to learn how to run really great workshops. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, yeah, there's a few things about the book, like practical things that I want to kind of draw out that, that I was thinking about in preparation for this conversation, but I, I guess first I'm curious. So the process of creating the book, you know, this is mm-hmm. something that I've been thinking about a lot in the last year or, 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 yeah. or, or five. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah. What was the process like for you and, and what are the, were the difficult parts of that? And what, what would you, what will you do differently next time? <laughs> next time. Yes. Um, Wait, why is that funny? Is that funny because they'll never, you, you know, it was so bad there'll never be a next time, or because you you've got the idea bubbling yeah, away in your mind. Absolutely, I do. I do have the next. I do have the next idea in my head. So, and, can, and I learned. Can you tell so, us? Yeah, absolutely. So, the what I'd love to get into now is team coaching. Yeah. So you know, it, it evolves from the facilitation, um, but it is um, there's a lot written on coaching. I mean, there's a, a huge number of books, as you know, some really, really brilliant books on, on coaching. And there's very little on, there's, there are books on group coaching, like how you coach people around a single topic, but not too much on the, um, on the team coaching and closer apart is a, is a book for everyone. You know, I, I know that that's a, that's a, not a great marketing approach, but <laughs> what we wanted to create, Lizzie and I was something that everybody can pick up and everybody can learn from. So it's, it's a, it's a facilitator's guide that anybody can use. Lots of coaching books are, are quite niche that, you know, they're, they're for specialist practitioners. So I would love the next book to be same mold. So it's a, it's a book for the masses and it's about how do you coach teams of people to achieve what they can't even believe is possible. Yeah, so, nice. exciting. Watch this space. <laughs> yeah, we might name it. Well, I, mean, I think we'll pick that. We'll 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 speak about team coaching before the end of of this episode. I really want to I'd love speak to. to you about that. But but yeah, the book. What lessons or what was difficult or what was the process like? So it was a fascinating process. Uh, it, it in in the end took about ten months. Um, but if I were to look back on it, I think the the actual writing time probably happened in I don't know six, seven, eight days. I mean, it was, it was a very, very um, inelastic, if that's the, the right way of describing it. So looking back on it, I learned that there are many, many people who say, here's how to write a book. And what they're saying really is, here's how I write a book. <laughs> uh, so many, many blogs, all great for inspiration, but it turns out that none of them were the way that I wrote my book so I had um I had some great assistance as a woman called Kate Carruth um she has this um this company that that helps people come up with ideas and get their content out into the world so she gave me some kind of coaching effectively around how to shape the ideas and that was 
really, really useful. So that got me to a point of having Lizzie and I and she together created what she calls an S-curve. So it's a kind of journey of the of the reader from the start to the finish. So we got to that pretty quickly. <clears throat> and then the the work of writing the words, that, that kind of fell on me. So between Lizzie and I, she took the design, and, and you'll know that it's very design-led uh, book. So it's absolutely beautiful. We wanted to create this feeling of being in a workshop, which is very hard to do. Yeah. In, in printed form yeah. so she took that and has created something which which really does that it it, it uh, inspires you through its design and it coaches you through its design and I meanwhile went off to try and you know get all of our ideas into written form what it turns out <laughs> my method is that I um, take myself away to the uh, premier inn in Bury St Edmunds which is very comfortable but has or very few facilities. Uh, I didn't take my phone and I just stayed in my room uh, and I wrote and uh, it's on the side of a river. I went out for a number of long walks, dictated, you know, into, into my phone. Oh, well, yeah, so I must have taken my phone, but I didn't switch it on except when I was dictating. Um, and then just just wrote. So in the, I think I had four weekends and over the course of those four weekends, all of the content was written. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. There are lots of there are lots of great things in um, in the book, and it's worth saying. Like, yeah, I, I love what you said about the design and the feeling, and it's a really practical book. So it's like you know to actually read it, it's not that long. But if you to do all the exercises in it and to really do the thinking about the workshop, it's a you know it. It's kind of open ended, which I guess is is a part of what for for the right people will make it really, really, really valuable to have. Um, there's kind of lots of things I could I could pull out from it. I, you know, there were loads of little you know tidbits. I, I really liked. I think actually it was like a link to the website. There's a really nice talking of energy like snacks list, yes. basically. And I was like, oh, uh, oh, this is good. This is great. And again, that was actually a relief because I was like, oh, that is kind of how I eat when I'm doing these things. Um, but it is interesting to think about it. There were some cool stories in there, John. Like I love the story about thinking about remote workshops, about um, sending everybody who's on the workshop, wherever they are in the world, the, like the same thing, the welcome pack, creating some version of we're all in the same thing together here yeah. in, in that kind of way. Um, I wonder when you think about what are the things which mostly people don't do with online workshops that actually that they would that, that kind of would happen in an in-person workshop? What are the things that that you can kind of catch and fix? Maybe it's things like get everyone feeling like they're in the same boat by mm -hmm. in some way. Yeah, you know, this is a hard. I'm not quite asking this question very well, am I? But it's like, what are the things that happen by default in person that we need to be a bit more conscious and active with when we're online? Yeah, I, th I think, you know, the, probably the one that comes to mind most easily is movement. You know, people feel uh, like yeah. you know, I'm stuck in front of the screen, so I can't move. It's like, well, but you, you can. Like, if we ask you to stand up, you can stand up. Like, but actually most people, I don't know whether it's nerves about 
feeling silly as a facilitator, I think that often comes into it, or it's just a default, like people don't do it. And the result of that for, for you know, millions and millions and millions of people now, I can see you now. You know, yeah, as soon as you're saying it, I'm noticing that I'm still and kind of slumped a bit, you know, and yeah. the effect that has, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, people end up at the end of the day, their shoulders are hunched over, their brows are furrowed, furrowed they've got a slight headache, they've, you know, they've been staring at the screen. So you've got this thinking about the physicality of the body, the fact that people spend their whole days like locked in eye contact with people, which in a, in a workshop they would never do. <laughs> They'd be, even in bad workshops, they're around a table, but in a good workshop, they'll be sitting on beanbags or, you know, that they'll be moving a lot. So I think there's paying attention to that, I think is, is probably the, the first one that would jump out. But I think one thing is when people start the sentence with, it's hard online because... And you mentioned this earlier. I hear it every single day. It's hard online because treat that as an invitation to say, well, how might I do that? Typically, it's as easy or easier to do it when when people are remote. So, you know, how how do you have the right nutrition for each individual person in a in a workshop in a room? Like that's a catering challenge. If people's at home, you just say, make sure you bring the snack of choice, and they do. So I think it's um, trying to open people's eyes to what is possible and then approaching that with a how might I mindset as opposed to a, oh, it's hard because, which is then, you know, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, it's, it's hard to move because we're online. Well, no, it isn't. It's just because you haven't tried. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of my, um, it's hard online because it's John, I, I wanna, I'm going to ask you about now, but it was also, uh, I have a, the coaches journey community. Some members of that get to like, they know who's coming on and they, they sometimes send in questions. And one of them was essentially this question. So one of the community members was saying, you know, when he's doing workshops in person or teaching, like he's able to really read the room mm -hmm. and online that feels harder. And that does feel harder to me, but certainly March 2020, um, I was working on a leadership program with my friend Joe, and and we we had to move online at the kind of last minute. Uh, so it was you know there was a lot of energy there about how do we change this thing that's always been in person into something that works online. What do we need to do? And and especially in in spring 2020, everyone was super stressed because their whole lives had been turned upside down. So there's lots going on. But I remember us getting to the checkout at the end, you know, speaking in the breaks or when people were in breakouts and being like what is going on here? Like, we've got no idea how this is going, really. And only at the checkouts at the end of the day, we did around the group, you know, one thing you've looked, taken away from the day. Did we, you know, both after that kind of breathe a bit of a sigh of relief? And I'd never realized up to that point how much I was really feeling the room and just feeling like the level of engagement, the, um, I don't know, the energy, I guess. Mm. So, yeah, I'm curious in terms of reading the room, in terms of uh, that being, is is that a thing that you find harder online or have you found a way to kind of mitigate that or what ways have you found? I think the the answer to that is ask. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the, be the best way to understand how people are is to ask them how they are. So, I mean, I, I absolutely, I get that sense of reading the room. Of course, you can still, you can still read, you can read um, from faces. You may not be right in what you see, but equally, you might not be right in the room either. Uh, yeah, just yeah. remember that. Well, so and you I may not be right. You may not be right for everyone as well, right? You may get a kind of majority feeling or a collective feeling, but that doesn't mean that you're necessarily catching the two or three people who, for whom it's really not working. 
you know, yeah. it might be. Yeah. But, you know. And and you've got you've got so one thing is ask. So we use um a tool called emotional or energy check-in, uh, which is is super simple. We just ask people at the start of the workshop, you know, on a scale of one to ten, where's your energy right now, or how are you feeling right now? And then just using your fingers, so this is probably where I am at the moment, uh seven then you, you get a, an immediate sense. And it's interesting how often people don't look like the numbers they put up. So, you know, it's quite easy online for people to, you know, especially, you know, if they wear makeup, like put on the makeup, you know, and, and look fine, but not necessarily be fine. So, well, and vice the- versa, actually, like, the, you know, sometimes in online workshops, particularly, it's like, you know, someone's online camera angle and the yeah. desk, the chair they're sitting in has them kind of looking like they're barely there. And then they tell you at the end of the workshop, oh, this has been an absolutely amazing day for me. Thanks so much. And it's absolutely. like, yeah, absolutely. who knows what's going on? But but absolutely. yeah, so and, and so how long, how often might you do that throughout uh, uh, a half day or a day long workshop? So one of the lessons of the book is we we tend to say don't don't have any session longer than two hours. And for a you know what was a, a half a day long workshop make that into two two hour sessions so maybe we'd have one morning and afternoon we, we typically do a check-in like that at the start of any two hour session so maybe one in the morning maybe one in the afternoon one of the things that, that is really really great about remote workshops like doing them online is you know they don't need to be tied together in one piece of time so something that people do which which works really well is much easier online is this would have been a day if we had to get everybody to come together to an office, but actually a better way for us to do it is to have, you know, an hour and a half every, every day in the week, or we're going to do it over three weeks and we'll just have it, you know, every, every few days. So you, you're able, because you don't have the constraint of transport, <laughs> you're able to break workshops up into, into smaller pieces. And because of that, you're able to, you know, have work that happens in between so it's so much more flexible so much more malleable to your needs so just back onto the reading the room though so you've got this okay well put some exercises in that give you real information back i I would say do that in in person as well because you may be reading the room wrong and i really like you know that idea of the check-in that you were describing that's a great one isn't it so what what one word describes how you're feeling right now or what one word describes what you've learned today really good way to get proper data not just a a sense and then i think there's also the ability online which you which is very very hard in person to use private messaging so you know i see robbie's got a big frown on his face i don't really know what that is as facilitator i can send you a private message that doesn't nobody else can see so say hey you know how's it going is there anything else that you need from me and then often that will be the you know, it'll be the way that can unlock it. So your ability as facilitator in a remote environment has got things which would be very, very hard to do, if possible at all, in the real world. Yeah. and But what I hear, one of the things I hear in that is, again, not that this is right, but it's somehow it is when, I think, you know, in person, it does feel a little bit easier for the for a participant who's struggling in some way to like for them it it shouldn't but i think it does to subtly ask a question over coffee or something like that um and one of the things i hear there is it's actually probably quite important online as the facilitator 
because not everyone is, because likely the facilitator, not always, but often is more comfortable with the tools and technology, or that's certainly one of practicing with the tools and technology is one of the things, you know, you talk about in the book. And I just think that's so important. Um, you know, always try never to use something for the first time when you've got 30 people there. But, um, there's something about what I just heard. It's like, ah, oh, yeah, and actually as a facilitator, if, if we know the technology and we kind of know that that thing is possible that you just said, there's actually maybe a little bit more leadership that we can bring in, especially if people aren't used to working online, which says it's okay to do this private message to check in with people. And it's okay for you to message me to say, I don't understand this thing. And, you know, mostly people do still do that. You know, that's been my experience of running online workshops. But, um, yeah, there's kind of leadership, leadership that I think we can take, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. Be very, be very explicit. I think, I think the the more that you do that, the more that you give people the opportunity to communicate with you in whatever ways work for you. I mean, obviously, don't uh, one one watch out. I suppose in the book we we propose co facilitation always. I mean, there are so many benefits to having two facilitators in every environment. Yeah. So is it every environment? Is it I, for me? It feels like especially online, but it might just be. It might be. I think it's probably also everywhere. Yeah, is that what I, you think every, I think it's everywhere because you have the ability, we talk about this a lot in the book, you know, there's so many things you do. So you can have one person who's reading the room and one person who's leading exercises. You can have one person who's managing the chat. So that was the point I was making. It's like yeah, it's yeah. very hard to be leading an exercise and managing the chat. So watch out for that one. But if you've got a co-facilitator, then that's that's a perfect setup. And the same is true in person, but but if you're if you're online and you've got somebody who's managing the breakout rooms and somebody who's dealing with the chat and setting up a poll or whatever it is you're doing, then you as lead facilitator at any moment in time can be fully focused on your participants. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a really. I'm really glad you brought that up because that is a, a thing that's really clear in the book about. You know, one of the things for those who aren't. So I got the feeling that, yeah, I, I'm, when you described it, I don't know, I kind of said this already, when you described who comes to the workshops, I did get that feeling. I get the feeling like, oh yeah, the people reading this book, some of them are going to be like someone who's just been dropped into running loads of workshops and has never run an online workshop. And that's great. And and also everybody up the tree of, of kind of experience in different ways. But what's nice about the book for people who have run a lot of workshops and and stayed away from online because it feels intimidating what's great about it is there's some really practical stuff like that which you know i experienced you know with the with the company i mentioned where we were thrown online in march 2020 we had somebody there and it is an absolute luxury to have somebody there who's doing all the zoom breakout managing Mm -hmm. it's just like without and the times when that isn't the case it's a really different experience and far less smooth so obviously budget doesn't always allow for three or four members of a team to be there but two at least does feel like it's a it's an important part of it um john what like you know so much good stuff in in the book and you know one of the things i was uh, i I was looking at i was wondering before this conversation what are the pages that i've folded down the corners of in the book oh yes and and that is interesting there's this just to give people a flavor of what's in there there's this great table of uh when you want to, it's like what kind of ex- exercises you can have. When you want to, and then lots of different things, make decisions, come up with ideas, search for to find the kind of exercises and, and what are your favorites like uh, Crazy Eights, like you said. So that's folded down. I, lo- I love the ways of working piece. I, that was one of the things I was thinking about with some workshops I was running recently because I'd read the book. You know, it's like actually is better phrase than ground rules yeah. <laughs> uh, in lots of ways. And I really like that. There's a really nice piece, uh, you know, for me about, um, I guess, how to avoid disruptions or manage disruptions in a session. Hmm. And 
you know, you could speak to that or you could speak to like, for you, you know, if people of, of those kind of more practical tips, are there any that we haven't mentioned that you're in, in that book, you just think are like, that's the one that I would really want people to take away. Or that's the one that for me is the most, the most impactful or, or mm. something like that. I, th- I think one I'd, I'd really love to, to just kind of underline is, is how to create equal share of voice. So we talk about it in a number of different places through the book. So there are a number of ways that you can achieve that. And the reason it's so important is because it, it is, it's the foundation for a brilliant outcome. So I don't know if you've read the book Social Physics by Alex Pentland, really great book. Um, And and in it, he talks about, you know, how research shows that the predictor of a successful outcome of a meeting, he's talking about meetings, but same goes for workshops. The single predictor of successful outcomes is equal share of voice. So it doesn't matter what you're talking about. If everybody more or less speaks for the same amount of the same proportion of time, then you'll get to a great outcome. And that's just not the case in the majority of meetings. And almost none. (laughs) Probably Um, none. (laughs) Very, very few. And yet it's simple actually to do. So we we give a number of um, tools that you can use that are how you design exercises, how you kind of either timing um, playback uh, from exercises or getting people to speak on behalf of one another. So they're not presenting their own ideas, they're presenting somebody else's. Typically, then they're much more likely to stick to time, kind of passing the talking stick, as it were, around people. So lots of tools that help you as facilitator to ensure that you get equal share of voice. And not only is it good in terms of the outcomes, it's also, of course, more inclusive. Um, It means that those people who might feel like their voices aren't as important as others and maybe you know there's real power dynamics going on but you as facilitator you can create in in the boundaries of your workshop you can create an equal environment where everybody's contribution is genuinely possible and heard and together all of those ideas and contributions come come up with your solution or your great idea yeah and we you know we don't know exactly which bits always are creating the the kind of kairos the real magic but i would have thought that if you know if business as usual involves certain power dynamics and one of the things you do in a workshop is you create the space for a much more equal share of voice then that's probably you know in some ways coaching facilitation is exactly the same as we've been talking about it's like creating unusual conditions that, that aren't aren't run of the mill every day daily grind conditions and one of them you know going into equal share of voice yeah i love it we had a actually can't remember so we had a couple i had a couple of guests earlier in the year one who do you know about the thinking environment and nancy klein's work have you mm-hmm. ever come across that so they yeah. have some i can't remember if um Anne and i Anne hathaway was the guest and i talked about the the group thinking environment stuff specifically but that's i mean that's some very structured equal share and another guest talking about listening circles and which is kind of the talking stick you know timed okay. stuff it's like when you read people talking about the impact of those kind of things and when you th- even if you just slow down and think through the difference between what uh, the differences that equal share of voice can create especially when we're thinking about what's going on inside people about their anxieties about the hidden agendas they might have about the you know the things they're worrying about it's surprising when you slow down and think about it how many of those things get released 
when everyone knows they'll have a chance to speak and that actually they'll have a roughly equal share of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and in the book, what we do is, you know, we just, we just show how it's done. So it, you, you mentioned ground rules. Yeah, <laughs> if yeah. I think about bad workshops, first of all, often they'll start with ground rules. Uh, and, you know, what I have seen thousands of times is that all humans, I was going to say grown-ups, but kids exactly the same. You put rules up, then for a lot of people, what they want to do is push against those rules or break those rules. So that's why we we use the ways of working. It, it, it's, a, it's a much more powerful piece of language. Uh, and one of those rules is often equal share of voice or everybody gets heard or no bad ideas. I've seen that on a thousand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you well, know, flip, I mean, it's, flip it's amazing, isn't it? It comes out, even if it's purely facilitate, you know, purely facilitated, asked, coached, you yeah. know, I, I, I've, cause I've never heard you. I, I, I didn't remember that from the book being so explicit and you, now you've said it, I'll remember it now. And every time I'm running a ways of working kind of session, but whenever I've asked that question, pretty much by the time it doesn't usually come out first, yeah. But if you're creating with a group that set of ways of working, then by the end, almost always, it comes out in some way, doesn't it? People yeah. know, I guess. They know intuitively that it's really important that voices get heard and that people yeah. Aren't, yeah. Aren't, aren't stifled. Yeah, and, and you know, then, then help them to do it. So it's, it's one thing to say as facilitator, what you're able to do is to make it happen. So it's, it's with the best will in the world, people in in the flow of a workshop aren't thinking about that all of the time but we as designers and facilitators of those experiences can make sure that it happens so that that's the beauty is that kind of i like to think of it as almost like kind of orchestrating and designing like we have the ability to enable those people to get what they want <laughs> they can say what they want on the flip chart but then they might not know how to get it but we can give it yeah lovely lovely I want to talk a, a little bit about in a minute about Curve and how you're working with organizations now and, and that we talked about team coaching and, and that kind of thing. But I wonder first, if you having, you know, you've been delivering workshops for large, famous organizations. It's funny, actually, I was thinking, John, you've got a really good, it's very like, uh, you're like, everyone only needs like four organizations to list in their bio, right? That is like, because you always just list like the four best ones, like four most interesting ones that all that capture something, something like that. But your four are really good. Um, you know, the four in the bio that you said, I think was uh, NYPD, Coca-Cola, the UN and Comic Relief. Um, and it's, it's funny. That's all that stuff. One of my, somebody, somebody's <laughs> asked me the other day, why have I not come across any coaches who, who have told me they, every coach I come across has told me that they, coach for 20 years or more and i'm you know why is that what where are the new coaches like well the new coaches don't lead with i've been coaching for three months because that's not like the thing and it's like you know it's a bit like that but, but actually i'm going to ask a slightly different question to what i was going to ask you know those big organizations what maybe there isn't but is there something you've worked with some really big organizations and ones which have big missions in different ways yeah. and huge reach What's meaningful for you about, about the work with those kinds of organisations? For me, it is about the scale of impact. So, you know, the ability for those organisations to, to shape the world. So we do a lot of work with, with Accenture, like enorm a enormous quarter, three quarters of a million people. That's, you know, that's 
big. <laughs> um, so it's literally touching, but but through through the work that that organisation does, it's touching billions of people. Um, really inspiring. Uh, you know, we work with HSBC, you know, like millions of customers, even in this country. Um, uh, we work with Coca Cola, like billions of customers, and and let's pick up on that one in particular because we've been thinking there talking with them about their sustainability mission and I think it's really interesting because a company like that which gets lots of bad press around its sustainability impact because of the billions of plastic bottles and yet at the same time that flipped on its head is the impact so if they can come good on their commitment to kind of eradicate plastic from their supply chain in I think it is six years now like if that can be done if they can truly galvanize their leadership around making that happen that will change the world like there is no doubt about it that will change the world so for me it's seeing those organizations and seeing the individual people who make up those leadership teams who at the end of the day have the levers which can change the world and that's the excitement for me yeah yeah absolutely the question I was going to ask before is, you know, you've been doing workshops with these kind of companies and others, and you've done it through the pandemic. What do you see in the future for, you know, you talked about the, the advantages of online workshops in some situations and what's been great about them. And I love it, like the splitting the workshop across several days, giving chance for reflection and learning between, you know, the power of that kind of thing is obvious. What, yeah. What do you see as the likely next phase as the, pandemic is gradually coming towards an end and you know everything's changed for us all what do you think will happen next mm. I, I i think that um collaborating online is like it, it's not the future it's today uh, some organizations are good at it some have yet to get good at it and i think the ones that can't work it out they're they're, they're just not going to be successful uh, you know, I think there's there's a lot of conversation about this supposedly, you know, kind of back to normal, back to the office. My prediction would be, you know, five years from now, like very few organisations will have have big offices because what's happening really is is a, a flow of people away from that kind of environment. Realisation that to come together to collaborate to workshop is, as we say in in closer apart, it's easier, better, faster, cheaper. It's also more inclusive. So there's so many reasons why you would do that. And if that's the case, then then why would you go about what I see happening right now as people spending a lot of money building kind of tiny coffin-like boxes inside of their offices so that people can work as though they were at home but having schlepped across a, a noisy, dirty, expensive city to get there. So I think um, we're going to see... Uh, the forward thinking people get really really good at that and they are going to be so far ahead of their competition that they will leave those other people behind and i think that will just you know those those organizations they'll lose talent they'll lose product advantage because they won't be having the good ideas they'll lose customers and at the end of the day they'll they'll lose that that i think is is what's what we're going to see happening and then i think what's really interesting is you know we've got if you think about what's possible today in terms of getting people together to um, collaborate and co-create online or be coached online you know we're working in 2d you know 
the technology will evolve. I mean, who knows what Zoom will be able to do in a year, but like, you know, things are going to, are going to become possible. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm super, super excited. Yeah. And there's a sense of possibility for it, isn't there? Yeah. What, what will, what will be possible, especially for those, yeah, forward thinking, forward thinking people, I guess in some ways this links to what I want to talk about. I'm going to use it as a segue anyway, but with all that in mind and, um, <coughs> excuse me, with all that in mind, I want to hear a bit about how you, but also I know, you know, important as part of that is, is your company, you know, work with teams, with organizations now. And, you know, part of that is coaching. We've talked about that. Part of it is workshops. We've talked about that. I imagine there are other parts of it. You know, what have you, yeah. How, how, yeah. Give us, give, give us some idea of like, yeah, what's, what's the transformational work that that you do? Yeah. So where we're working with teams, on a on a goal that they have so yeah right good because yeah that's the distinction i guess we talked about the uh the access for millions yeah right it, we've talked a lot about that in the last half hour so now it's like when you're in the companies when they're taking you with that objective and they're saying yeah. whether it's accenture or hsbc or somebody else yeah what's the what have you found to work for those kinds of projects yeah. so so what we'll do is we'll we'll typically now what we found to be most effective is a combination of facilitation and coaching so that's what curve does we're facilitators and coaches and we train facilitation and when we are brought in to work with clients on a big goal they have so they don't want to facilitate themselves they want us to come and do it we will design a workshop experience um it mainly online but it could involve in person as well um to come up with an idea so whatever that idea could be, it could be a new vision for the organization, it could be a new strategy, it could be a new way of engaging with customers. And the workshop will create that. And then we will put a team coaching engagement that supports that. So typically we've got one or some workshops, and then we have a team coaching engagement. What team coaching means when Curve delivers it is a an opening kind of goal setting workshop so these typically are 90 minute online sessions for the whole team in which we would contract so we would share the goals we would agree on them collectively we'll talk about the coaching aspect so what does confidentiality all of that contracting that you would do normally with an individual but we do it with the group then um, our typical team coaching is six sessions so we've got that um, session to start with where the goals is set the collective goals then um, each individual in the team has um, six normally 45 minute sessions with a coach we typically coach teams in pairs so the two coaches will split those people between them and then over a period of for, for us the sessions are normally every two weeks so typically over a period of two or three months then everybody will go through um, those sessions we have a midpoint uh, kind of check-in, just how are we going, reflection, and then we have a whole group um, end reflection session. So it's a, a journey where each individual is being coached by their coach in pursuit of a collective goal. And we've got some collective reflection sessions as well. And it's just an extremely powerful way to ensure that that team gets what it wants because every single person will have their part to play and it will be different because they're different yeah and just because you mentioned it the how do you hold the confidentiality so it sounds like is this right that the 
the two coaches probably run the workshop, the work, the, the, the reflection workshops at the start, the middle and the end, and yep. they're running, they're coaching half the people. Yep. So how do you hold confidentiality in a situation like that? Yes. So th- this is, this is where I believe the power of team coaching comes in beyond individual coaching. <laughs> so confidentiality in a team coaching engagement is around the team. So what that means in practice is that anything that anybody says in a coaching session, in theory, the coach could share with anybody else. And the re- so some people at the start think, oh, that sounds a little bit scary or risky. The, the reality is, of course, you, know, you don't share everything that's it's practically impossible. The power in it, though, is that when people share with their coach in a way that feels like they're sharing with the whole team it can unlock blockages it, mm. it can feel like they've made progress and that feeling that shift in feeling can, can just change the way that the team works so what that means in practice for the coaches is you know we're doing our one-to-one sessions with each of our coaches and then every two weeks the two coaches get together and they share observations and thoughts. So thinking about where there are kind of blockers that are kind of systemic that we could spot and try and work on, or where there are kind of opportunities that we could see that the team can't see. And because the two coaches are doing that, they're able to get a kind of bird's eye view of the team and help it on its journey. And, And I have... I have this image, I remember it from school of like Brownian motion. Do you remember this? It's like a box, but Brownian motion is where all the atoms kind of bounce bounce around against each other and the energy doesn't come or go. It's just bouncing, but the atoms are going in no particular direction and, you know, there's no progress. And if you imagine those atoms are the people in a team, like you could, any one of those people being coached, you can kind of make them move quicker. (laughs) (laughs) give them more energy but in a sense it doesn't necessarily mean that the team is going to get anywhere different because they're not aligned but with team coaching where you've got a pair of people looking at all of those atoms it's like okay now we can have them vibrating in the same frequency pointed in the same direction and that brownian motion chaos can become like a laser beam and like point in a direction and move really fast I think it is, it is really interesting and it is a kind of, um, it is, I think, a bit of a peculiarity about the coaching industry at the moment, that the idea that, that it could be often that what's happening in coaching interventions in organisations is just speeding up how fast the molecules bounce against the walls. They just bounce against the walls each faster and they all feel a bit better while they're doing it. You know, it's... Um, had a guest last year, Miles Downey. He was he was talking about how it's just so important. In I mean, he 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 explicitly calls it business coaching because it's about the coaching that he does because it's about helping the business, especially because he's working in businesses and they're paying. But he said he you know and it, it, it he you know he did say you have to think what's the job. And I can hear really clearly that in this, like what's the job that we're here, me at the coach and you, the the, the client in this organization are here to do, you know, and it's not necessarily, it's not going to be, you know, it might be just about you, but probably it's a big part about the organization. I really hear that one of the things you do in those, um, in, in these team coaching engagements is really get clear, like what's the job that we as a team are here to do. And then when we split out and we do the one-on-one coaching, it's, it's really clear, like, look, the job we're here to do is your part in how we 
create this change for the organization. Um, and I think, it, you know, it's both often as a coach, it's quite lovely, but it's uh, if you, when you, as soon as you zoom out in the way that you've just done, or, or like I say, Miles did, it, it does feel a little strange that almost always in the coaching I do in organizations, I say, is there anything, do you want to put any restrictions, any, uh, you know, any restrictions on them? The, the companies don't do that. Mm. And that then means that the, for the, for the human that I'm working with, that's a great place to be, but it's not so obvious that it's the right thing for the company. I think that's, mm. and, yeah, it's, that's and, it's, and it's a missed opportunity. I think, um, I think there's, I think there's some part of it, which is, it, I, I like what, what, what Miles is saying there, but like, it's a discipline that's evolving. Like it, yeah. it's starting to take shape. I think, you know, built on the foundations of coaching, but with a bigger objective in mind. So I think it's, it's just a little bit nascent as a, as a practice. And, and I think the more and more organizations that do it and, you know, as people move around between organizations, as we talk about it more on podcasts like this, and maybe when I write my book about it at some point soon, I, I think it'll, it'll just start to be a more accepted um, and more embraced discipline. So I, I think we know that it works. I can see the outcomes. It's, uh, it's a, it's a very you know, kind of think right back to where we started in this conversation with my kind of consulting history. Like I have seen organizations try to make a change and spend millions, like millions of pounds on consultants to get PowerPoints that don't affect change because change does not happen through PowerPoint. Change happens through the behavior of individual people. So you could take a tiny fraction of the millions spent on those PowerPoints and direct it on directly working with that team of people on a business goal, as, as Miles says, I think that's a really nice way of saying it. This isn't coaching for coaching's sake. Like we know where we want to get as a team. And that is the surest way I have found to guarantee that success. Yeah. It sounds so clear, like that that it, you know, if I was a leader in a in a big organization, you know, the way you talk about that. That does sound so clear. And it's like, well, who wouldn't want that, essentially? I guess, is there any, if you're thinking and, and looking at the processes you go through and, and the people you work with, and are there any other things? So it's like, it's interesting. There's the, there's the, the workshops, the check-in, the 45-minute sessions fortnightly. What, what else have you learned that helps make those, makes that real change happen? Um, I think it is... I think it is a kind of realization or allowing people to be whole people in inverted commas. I think especially for senior people in organizations, the idea that there's a work like and a work life and, and a work non-work life is, is just a fiction, really. You know, it's just life. And you can't help but be thinking about your work when you're walking the dog or, you know, the, the, there's just no, even if we forget about the technology part of it, that's just not how people's minds are wired. So, uh, and accepting that as whole people addressing whatever it is that is going on for people in their lives is a part of them achieving the business goal. So in the coaching sessions, we're thinking, well, what do you need in order to be able to hit this? And sometimes that's work related. Sometimes that's you know, I would say more often than not, there's something about energy in there. There's something about how do I have the energy I need to be able to do this? And 
one of the areas really interesting areas for me is is emotional intelligence we we did a great piece of research with um professor jochen mengis at um, zurich university back in 2020 into how leaders feel um, and what they needed at that point of leading organizations through you know that extremely turbulent time and a lot of what they needed was effectively emotional um, support <laughs> for them and to be able to give it to others. So we came up with some really, really great findings on that. And we're, we're about to kick off a second piece of research with them actually very shortly. So what I think is leaders need that partly is provided by coaching, it gives the space for it and allows it is to ask themselves how do I need to feel? So this is at the heart of emotional intelligence. How do I need to be able to feel to do the job I need to do? And what do I do to feel that way? So to, to add often the, the, you know, the, the content of work business related coaching can feel very practical and it can feel very um, rational and the, the way in which those rational things happen is by human beings with real levels of energy and emotion doing something to feel the way they need to feel. So I think I think that's a, it's a very long-winded answer, but I think it's a, a piece that is often overlooked. It's seen as being, um, you know, not important, but I would say it's central. Like that's the thing, you know, the rational work stuff is a consequence of it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I love it. And it kind of, but, uh, you know, and you kind of said, you said that it's perhaps particularly important for those senior people. It's, you know, it's still, I think it's not, um, it's not commonly accepted, all those things. Probably the reason that it's that, that, that all that, all what you just talked about is so important is because it is not run of the mill in organizations. I don't know if you'd agree with that because you're, I think you're in these, especially the big organizations more than I am. But, you know, and so um, I guess that you strike me as someone, um, I don't know if you feel like this, but you don't have a kind of corporate feel to you, John. That's, that would be one of my mm-hmm. reflections. And I, I don't know if that's a good thing or not. And you obviously worked in a lot of big organizations over many, many years. So I guess what I'm interested in is, huh, yeah, like you're probably often bringing into, I, I don't want to do too much judging from the outside, because I'm not in uh, conversations with HSBC leadership teams on a regular basis or anything like that. But it feels like you're probably bringing in unusual things um, to organizations, especially these kind of big, large, really large scale ones. And that's one of the things that excites you. Like, what's that like? Mm-hmm. And when do you think, when and why do you think you're successful at it? Mm. Uh, you made a super, super interesting question. Um, when when Lizzie and I uh, founded Curve five years ago, we set as an ambition we want to work uh, with the the most senior people in the largest organisations in the world. So five years on, tick. You know that's what we're doing. The most senior amazing people in the largest organisations in the world. And one of the things we said to ourselves, we weren't sure it was going to be possible, was we want to show up as ourselves. So it was an ambition. Again, we didn't know whether it was possible. We sit there in, with our peers uh, in terms of the kind of work we're doing, other big brand management consultancy firms who will turn up with their shiny shoes and the cufflinks and you know, all of that 
uh, the trappings of being, you know, those kinds of organisations, very formal organisations. So that was a something we wanted. We we knew that it would have a positive impact if people could feel that we turn up as ourselves, so they could turn up as themselves. Um, and just to give it like a, you, you'll smile at this because I know that one of your things is like, what should I wear? Yeah, yeah. As, <laughs> so for people who don't know, like, yeah, like a big neurosis that I've had to work on over many years is is like feeling anxious about what I wear. I think there's a chapter in my second book called yep. "I Am What I Am." If people want to check that out, or it's a, you probably find it. It's a, it's one of the twelve minute articles that was like one of the big moments for me. But yeah, absolutely, exactly right. Completely, and it's and it's a great illustration. So, what does turning up as as us genuinely mean? I don't. I don't own a suit anymore. Um, so did did you used to though? You used to own a suit and wear uh, suits to work and that kind of when, thing. When I when I worked at PA Consulting, it was like a it was. I'm not sure it was a rule, but certainly like it was like an in, informal rule that like you you wore suits. Um, so I have this brilliant recollection of one of our first workshops with HSBC, which is probably about three or four years ago now. Um, going with Lizzie and you know you know we've got our magic whiteboards they come in these kind of tubes and both of us like to cycle so we you know got bike helmets and you know backpacks you know wearing jeans and kind of turning up into the HSBC tower at Canary Wharf this like you know massive glass skyscraper everybody you know very well dressed and turning up to reception and the you know, receptionist saying, are you looking for the ATM? <laughs> yes, okay. Politely saying, you're in the wrong place <laughs> because we had turned up as ourselves and that was not what was expected in that corporate environment. And we have, um, we've stuck to that. Like we've stuck to like, we. this is who we are. This is how we show up. Um, because we've built enough trust now and we get our business through referrals that, that's enabled us to sustain the business. And we are hoping through, you know, talk about the academic partnerships we have, obviously that brings a, a credibility uh, as, as well as real knowledge, but it brings credibility. And the more we do what we do, the more I think we are hopefully enabling everybody to show up as themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you showed up as yourself to HSBC Tower, did you have your facilitation belt on you? <laughs> I did. <laughs> tell tell people about one of the things I did, John, is I texted a few people that, that that we both know and said, what should I ask about? And one of them did say, Lawrence did say, ask about the belt. And I was like, yes, I would have forgotten to ask about the belt if if uh, if you hadn't said that. So um, tell listeners, I can see it. Anyone, we'll, we'll, we will put it. this video on YouTube. But um, yeah, tell tell listeners about the belt and where it came from and, and what it means screenshot it and put it on the on the on the show note maybe so that people can actually see yeah, yeah, yeah. listening because the the impact won't be there unless you can see this so the facilitation built it is um it is actually an adaptation of a shotgun cartridge belt so <laughs> people that go hunting they um, have this and they put their shotgun cartridges in and i have had it adapted a uh, really uh, great friend and, and former colleague of mine alan davies who was the chief strategy officer at digitas lbi he uh, he imagined it, went and bought it, and adapted it to be the thing that holds my sharpies. So when I'm running in-person workshops and I just take it out of my um, out of my bag because I was doing that this week, um, I wear this belt uh, to 
basically to ensure that I don't lose all my different colors of Sharpies when I'm drawing up on, on the, um, on the big magic whiteboard panels. Um, it's, it's practical obviously, but it, but it's also a piece of theater. And I think that, you know, to back to what we say in closer apart, and we talked about this, about workshop workshop, you know, we genuinely believe that, um, work workshops are experiences so it's not just time in your calendar with agenda points on a, on a bullet list it's a thought through experience and you know, i liken this to you know disney disney i've never actually been but you know i have a sense of what going to disneyland would be like because they have thought so carefully about that experience like every single thing will have been considered and so we do the same thing so in our in-person workshops, you know, there'll be a moment at which I take out the belt and put it on. And typically, because nobody's nobody else in the world has one of these, <laughs> people will laugh, it breaks the ice, it's kind of humorous. But the other thing it does is it kind of signals in a very gentle way, okay, time to work. You know, it's a it's a moment at which we shift gears in the workshop. So it's it's one of my favorite belongings uh, and it performs a number of functions in workshops yeah nice and it's worth i think it's just worth that thing you said about the experience and the theatrical nature of it one of the things that's in the book and, and you've said it i've heard you say it uh, separately as well which really reminds me of theater really which, which is a part of my my history is you know don't tell and basically tell people as little as possible about what you're doing in the workshops to give you total freedom to change it as you go yeah. uh, don't don't necessarily give them all the timings don't tell them exactly how you're going to run the exercise because you might uh, get to a point later in the thing and you know what i remember this from from you know being in in plays like if you skip a whole scene even if you skip a whole scene the audience only know that's a problem if well if it is vital to the plot and if you everybody collapses at that point but if everyone is just smooth, they may they'll never know that you've run things out of order or, or missed a whole bit out, mm -hmm. um, and and that feels um, yeah that I had just got that echo of that in in what you just said. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just want to just want to rewind a little bit because it's like there's a thing that you're doing, John, which um, which you and Lizzie set out to do, right? Which is work with the most senior people in the big, biggest organizations in the world. And you kind of gave a, you know, you really skimmed over how that happened. And, mm -hmm. and, and you don't, we don't have to go into it in detail because we're, we're almost at time. But I, I really, I, I just want to ask, like, because you're now coaching these teams, right, at the highest level in, in business, essentially, yeah. as, as far as I can tell. So how did you get in those rooms? Yeah, that's a really great question. <laughs> um, so... I think there's a part of it which is you know we're we're really confident that what we do works. I, you know I think there's there's something about the the absolute confidence that what we're going to do will really help and the result will be what they want. So I think that that really helps us to go in and project that, okay, we feel comfortable. And then we, you know both of us, I think one thing that ties Lizzie and me together, um, and we, we think very differently, actually. We've got very different kind of mind um, wiring. And I think that is a huge benefit for us. Like we, we really do see things very differently. But one thing that's very common in common between both of us is we're huge connectors of people and we're very generous with our connectivity. So we're always, especially Lizzie, she's absolutely fantastic at 
spotting people who need to talk to each other. And so what we did at the, at the early part of the business was we had lots and lots of conversations and we were in those conversations. We weren't selling. We weren't trying to sell. We were trying to solve people's problems by putting them in touch. And the result of those connections was that business came in. So it was really, it's, you know, I can, I can talk about this now as though we had a strategy for it. It, it isn't actually that way around. We did it and it had great results. So that's how the start how we started, which was, um, you know, genuinely trying to help people because that's what we want to do. And by proving that help, we made a name for ourselves. And then from there, now, you know, we've got a, a network of people who refer us and through things like writing closer apart, we've also, and doing research and getting into Harvard Business Review and all of the things now that give us public profile, now people come to us. Yeah, you may not have set out to do it, but I think now, and I think I see this, I think this, this is essentially how I built my coaching business, exactly the same set of things that you just talked about, right? Which is make connections, help people, at some point grow the belief that what you're doing really works. And then in the end, if you do all those things enough, the referrals come and then the profile comes. And so I think that actually, although you were talking about it in this particular environment, it's actually something that pretty much anyone could use anywhere. True. Um, yeah, John, you've been so generous with your time and we've covered so much ground in this conversation. Um, there are probably lots more questions I could ask. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm curious now that we started, we kind of got there right at the end of the, com- of, of the conversation. But um, you know, I'm curious about those, those rooms at, at the top of HSBC's tower and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And um, There's lots more places we could go. But before we finish, I just want to ask you really, is there anything that you haven't shared in this conversation that you'd like that it feels important in this moment to talk about that you'd like to share, you know, with, with people who might be listening. Yeah. What, what is the, that we haven't covered that you'd like to. Mm. I mean, about? I, I, I really love to, for people to leave this with a feeling, a sense. And uh, there's a, there's a part at the end of closer apart where uh, we say anything is possible. And I would love for people to be curious about facilitating, especially facilitating online. If, if they've not done it, you know, you can, and it can be amazing. And there's just so much benefit that the world could reap if more people could do that. So I think it is like, a, what what is it that piques your curiosity, listeners, <laughs> yeah. when you think anything is possible? And particularly in this sense of like, how do we bring people together to come up with new ideas and solve problems? That's what the world needs. Um, and we, uh, th- those of us in this in this uh, virtual room, um, we're the people who can help. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. And like I said, that's a real feeling that I got from, from the book, from Closer Apart. I, you know, of course, feeling that, that I get from, from you in lots of ways too, but from Closer Apart, it did feel like it, you know, it is in some ways that a statement of that. Anything mm-hmm. is possible in online facilitation. So, you know, believe and find the ways to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely love it. John, thanks so much for all your time uh, and expertise. Um, yeah, this has been a total pleasure. Thank you, Robbie. Hello, everyone. Robbie here again. Um, just a couple of quick things before you go on to whatever else you've got going on in the rest of your day. And that is to let you know about two ways to support the Coach's Journey podcast. So you might be interested, you made it all the way to the end of this conversation with John, maybe you'd like to support the podcast um, and help it continue, help it reach more people 
um, and make sure that this resource keeps getting created. So if you'd like to do that, you could become a supporter of the podcast. What that means is you give a little bit of money every month um, and in exchange you get advanced notice of guests, um, depending on how much you pay, various other little bonuses. Um, and you do that by going to patreon.com slash thecoachesjourney or you can find a link wherever you're listening to this. You might, as well as wanting to support the co- podcast, be interested in working with me, in having me as your coach. If that's the case, then the Coach's Journey community might be inter- interesting for you. Um, you can read loads more about that at thecoachesjourney.com slash community. Essentially, it's the most affordable and flexible way of having me as your coach. You can pay anything from about £10 a month up to £100 a month. Um, and depending on how much you pay, you get to come along to some group coaching calls with me, um, each uh, you know up to 10 a year, plus have access to one-on-one time if you're a full member. Um, the aim with the community was to find a way for me to support coaches and also to do another thing that I love to do as a human and as a coach, which is to bring people together. And it's been an absolute pleasure. One of my favorite things about about the community has been seeing it spread beyond me, seeing the members start their WhatsApp groups, seeing other um, social calls happen when I'm not there and, and just seeing those connections be formed. Um, and as part of that, I, I want to say a big thank you for their ongoing support to Alex McIntyre, Alex Swallow, Ken Bruren, Neil McKinnon and Ruth Saville, as well as everyone who's been a member of the Coach's Journey community over the years. Now's a great time to join, partly because we're going to have an in-person meetup for members in August, because one of our US-based members is over in the UK. So that's that's the catalyst for that. So if you'd like to join now so that you can come and meet us in person in London on the 10th of August, then then now's a good time to sign up. Also, another way, final plug of this episode, my second book has come out. So that's also a great way to support my work and and the podcast. And of course, to get loads and loads of insights collected over three years of writing using the 12-minute method. So do check that out. Um, Do come back next time. And I'd love to see you on a Coach's Journey community call sometime soon. Mm -hmm.